Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. This is part two of using digital marketing to engage your audience with Lorena Garcia Wahabi. Listen in as we dig into Lorena's unique path breaking into marketing and how she worked with such groundbreaking companies as Primary Wave and XX Artists. If you are curious about how to forge your own career as a music marketing expert, this is an episode you won't want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog. Info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. You identified that there were missing things in the marketing role and the video editing. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what were some of the pieces that they were doing that you then said, okay, they're doing this well, but I think that they could maybe be doing this a little bit better that you then brought to the table? Like, how do you open that discussion as an intern to bring up where you see that there's more opportunity? Yeah, I think at the time, I didn't really know I was doing it, which is also interesting because I wasn't, I I mean, I wanted a full-time job and I I was very passionate about the space and what their mission is, but, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job and I knew that the things that I could do well, they weren't necessarily, they were probably thinking about it, but nothing was actually being done. So for example, you know, helping with creating social media content for the shows that were coming up. I put into existence some series of interviewing the talent and getting them in front of the camera before the shows to kind of explain what their shows were going to be about. Because a lot of these, you know, just to kind of go a little bit deeper into the National Sawdust world, at least when I was there, it was the inaugural season. So I think a lot of people were trying to kind of figure out what kind of shows could they expect at National Sawdust. Right. Um, The talent was super cool, but sometimes it would be new projects that people would be trying out in front of audiences for the first time. Sometimes it was out of state, you know, talent coming in and maybe not very uh, familiar to the New York audiences. So I think that that was a really big kind of question of like, how do we help explain what experiences you will have when you come see this particular show. So with these video series, I decided to book the talent that was coming in and making sure that we could coordinate times when they were in New York, come up with the interview questions, film them. I would like carry around, uh, you know, the tripod and the camera and go into the space. And I learned a lot about audio and, and there were things that I also didn't really know fully that I had to kind of go along with. Just like figure it out on the fly, right? Yeah. Figure it out on the fly and be professional about things too, you know, and try to put my best face forward when dealing with the talent that, you know, to some people are very much a big deal. And, you know, it's very niche in some cases, but that doesn't mean that they're not at that type of caliber. That's the thing that I loved about National Sawdust is because I got to discover so many different types of genres and artists that I did not know of before. So that was one example, you know, and then I would edit the video. I would then publish it. I would then make sure that it was going out on the right channels, clipping it to social edits and whatnot. So it was a very much hands-on experience, which I don't think is too much of a obscurity when it comes to non-for-profits, you know, you kind of have to wear multiple hats. So it gave me that full, like from start to finish experience. 
That's very fascinating. And you mentioned that the caliber of the talent that you guys were booking was a little bit higher up. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So what kind of artists did you book? Like, who would we know? Yeah. Someone cool that actually is very relevant right now is Caroline Polacek. So she was in a band at the time because we're talking like 2015, I believe. And she was in a band called Chairlift at the time. And now she does some, she does a solo act now. And one of her songs is blowing up on TikTok. And so it's very interesting because I'm like, I interviewed her for one of her like very obscure and cool, like choir. She had a choir in this church and she was singing and it's really cool. I don't remember what the name of the show was, but now she's blowing up on TikTok. And I, it's not to say like, you could tell that she was always going to be something big. She's so cool and has this like very particular sound. But at that time, it definitely was a little bit more like indie and underground. And so that was very much on National Sodas' radar. Someone who stands out to me is Skip Shirley. And his act is amazing. I believe he still lives in Brooklyn because we're friends on Facebook. But you could probably check him out and see if he has any shows coming up, but he really experiments with sound and his show is incredible. And one of the songs that I, it's called Brooklyn bridge and it's the sweetest song. You should check it out. It's like on Spotify, Apple music, I'm sure. But it was just something where it's like, Oh, like everyone is so talented. And I wanted to go to every single show every night because there's always something new and exciting, whether it's from opera to, you know, somebody who's contemporary. So you really felt like you were in the right place at the right time. I was. And to kind of spoil things, I actually, along with the department, ended up getting fired. Ooh. So, yeah. So that was like a big moment for me because I put in a lot of work and I didn't take it personally because I think they just wanted to go a different way. And that's normal, right? Within the first couple of years, they're trying to figure themselves out and the directions they want to go. So, yeah, that was like a big blow but I had to understand how to get back up. Getting fired is not a bad thing. And I think that that's a huge misconception in a career, especially when you're early in your career. Mm. It presents so many new opportunities to you. You can be sad about it. Take a weekend, take a week, you know, kind of decompress, do your thing. Yeah. But then also sort of, don't look at it as a failure. There's so many reasons why you might get fired. Maybe you were really bad at the job. But that also doesn't mean that it was a failure. It means that you might have learned what you maybe don't thrive at. Yeah. Maybe they wanted people who were more experienced or who had a different perspective. It helped me realize, like, I did the best that I could. I think it was a little bit less of a blow because the whole team got fired. So that was kind of like a blessing and a curse. No offense to to the other people who also got fired. But now I can look at it and be like, yeah, I could see why. I could see how they could definitely go in a different direction. And they did. And I wish them all the best, always. We talk about getting fired on the podcast. You know, I wouldn't say quite a bit, but it it definitely comes up. Like I've been fired in the past. I, I know a lot of the guests that we've had have been fired or laid off in some capacity, but it's really about internalize the whole opportunity that you had and move on from it and say, was this a positive experience? Was it not a positive experience? Oh yeah. And if it was a positive experience, then you say, okay, well, try to stay in touch with the people that you worked with. If you were part of a group firing, I've heard before that often the people that that are in a role together and they both get fired and they stay in touch, usually move on to do projects 
together and they end up thriving a lot more than they had at the previous role when they'd been laid off or fired. There's a lot of lessons to be learned there. So if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, shoot, I just got fired or I've been fired in the past, don't look at it as a failure. There's always the other side of the coin. That's why I really wanted to kind of hone in on this part of the podcast, which which we had no idea would even come out. I, I didn't. Yeah, I know. My failures. <laughs> Just bumps in the road. You know what? I do want to bring up too, because I think you always have a little bit of an inkling. And I think what what it was is that they brought on somebody to be a consultant. And I just remember her saying, like, we want the tone of voice of this, of our social channels to be like Neil deGrasse Tyson, scientist. And I'm like, I'm a 22-year-old girl who's like into pop music. How the heck am I going to sound like a scientist that's like, who knows, older than 50? Right. So I remember calling my sister-in-law and crying because I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to to do this. So in a way, getting fired was kind of a relief because I was like, good, I don't have to deal with all of that because I, that's not me. And that's why it's okay that they went a different direction because I could not, I can't do that. I can't be that person. There's also that whole feeling of relief because you feel it, you feel it coming. I've been laid off, I've been fired, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, it's all the same. You feel that there is a change coming. Yes. And it means that you've got a good gut, right? Because then you also know when there's something good coming. I want to continue your career trajectory. Yes. So what did you do after that? Were you able to find a job really quickly or did you kind of take a little bit of time? And what was the next step? So the next step, I definitely took a little bit of time to myself, but not that long. I think it was like two or three months. I saw that there was an opportunity and this is actually, I'm going to go a little deep here, but there may be some like nuggets of information that may be helpful for others. I was a little lost in what I wanted to do next because I was able to get up to, I think like a a manager position, something along the lines of like a, a specialist, right? Right. I was starting to manage interns. I was starting to do the duties of someone, you know, past a coordinator level. So when I went back to the drawing board, I kind of just wanted to be in the music industry. So I was like, what opportunities are there out there? And there was one that was really cool with this company. They film concerts with musicians. And this was great because it was also a little bit more contemporary and kind of relevant to the the acts that were happening in that time. And I had to write like a simple writing sample. I ended up getting it. But two days in, I was like, this isn't right because this is an internship. And I feel like I'm going backwards. Right. And so I remember my now husband, my boyfriend at the time telling me, you are going to go in there tomorrow and you're going to say, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for the opportunity, but I can't do this. This is just not the right next step for me. So I remember being in the kitchen and like texting him and being like, oh my God, I can't do it. I'm just going to have to intern here. I'm just going to, I don't think I was getting paid either. So I was like, I, I need to level up here. Like, this is too much of a, a step back. Like I need to kind of, right. and it was absolutely terrifying in the moment to walk. Like I went to the CEO and I was like, hi, thank you so much for all this, this opportunity. And I know I've only been here for two days, but I just realized that this is just isn't the right next step for me. And I hope you guys are able to understand and hope you are able to, you know, find someone else that potentially fill this role. And then I was like, I did it. And then I was like, 
can I leave? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. So I didn't even like finish out the day. I was just like, I'm sorry. This is not, not right. But that was a huge lesson because I think sometimes people, there's that advice of like, just do whatever you can to get in. And I was thinking in that mindset and I was like, actually, that's, that's not the right advice for me right now and where I am. Like, you do want to do that. Maybe like when I was starting out and I was at the tank, but like now I had a couple years of experience or a year or two at least where it showed me that I deserved more and that I needed to reach a little bit higher than just kind of the safe, so the safety spot. Cause it would have taken me a long time to get to where I wanted to be. Whereas I could just go to another job and be there from the start in that position that I'm, I'm looking for. So after leaving there, I went into temping through a friend, Becca King. She's amazing. She was, it's for this beauty brand called Amika. So I did a couple months there. The cool thing is, is that now I started to get options. I was doing customer service. So it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. I was applying at the same time for their digital marketing positions, but I wasn't really hearing back. At the same time, I was interviewing for Primary Wave. So that's where Primary Wave comes into the story. And at the same time, they both were offering me full-time. So I was being offered a full-time position as a customer service manager at Amica, and then a full-time position as a digital marketing coordinator, I believe, at Primary Wave. And it would be in music. So I had a tough decision to make. I was like, I'm here at Amica. I've gotten to know these people over like a two month period. I love my boss. She was amazing. And I, to go to this other place, start new, start fresh, but it was in music and it was something that I actually wanted to be doing. So I ended up choosing primary wave, thankfully. And then I was there for like three years, a little over three years, almost four. Wow. Okay. So how has that changed? Did you find that the digital marketing role at National Sawdust was comparable to your first, you had a few different positions at Primary Wave, but did you find that it was comparable to your role at Primary Wave as a coordinator? Yeah. So it's interesting because it was the first time that I was working full-time at a for-profit company. So that I would say is the difference, but the caliber of musicians that I was working with, again, became more mainstream. So it kind of went from like the tank where it was very underground, National Sawdust, where it was like indie underground, but some who definitely have won Grammy Awards and have those recognitions. And then going to kind of more of like the mainstream world with Primary Wave. Digital marketing wise, I did have a learning curve to kind of understand that mainstream space because these people are actively touring and these people are actively putting out music. I think the biggest change was also that I was before working for a music venue company. And then now I'm on the other end where I'm working with the artists themselves. So I wouldn't say that there was too much of similarity other than the focus on social media because the campaigns that I was working on were very much very much had different objectives to what I was trying to reach and succeed in. And at this role in Primary Wave, how long were you a coordinator for before you got promoted? I think it was about a year. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to part two. Stay tuned for part three. Remember, new episodes release every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific. See you there.